Well, good morning. So, um, you know, why should anyone obey God? Especially, why should we obey God when um, He asks us to do something that's in opposition to what we want to do? Uh, what causes men to defy their own will in favor of God's will? What actually would cause a man to do what they don't want to do in favor of what God wants them to do? What, what, would, what would cause a man to go against his, all of his desires to obey God? What, what causes a man to favor his own will when it's in opposition to God's will? Um, when is our obedience uh, merit, meritorious? When is it meritorious to obey God? You know, when God's will and our will are the same, when God's asking me to do something I already want to do, how meritorious is that for me to say yes? Obviously not that meritorious. For example, if God said to me, um, Richard, I'm going to give you $10,000 and I want you. It's my will for you to spend it exactly the way you want to, however you want to. I want every cent to be spent on yourself. No problem, God. I'm there. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'll obey you. But what if God said to me, here's $10,000, Richard, and I don't want you to spend a single cent of it on yourself. I want every dollar, it's in your hands, you can dispose of it, but I want you to spend every cent of it in a way that brings no direct benefit to yourself at all, period. Well, that might be a little more difficult, and obedience in that matter might be a little more meritorious, don't you think? Uh, as we continue in our series entitled Knocking on Heaven's Door, we're looking at a biblical uh, history of sacrifice because in looking at the history of men bringing sacrifice to God, we really gain a better understanding of the sacrifice God made for us through Christ Jesus. That's the heart of why we're doing this. We're trying to understand uh, more clearly uh, the whole issue of sacrifice. We've looked at uh, Cain and Abel. Last week we looked at Noah's sacrifice that really open the door to us for general grace. And uh, this week we're going to be looking at um, one of the most single amazing acts of obedience recorded in, in the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. What makes this moment of obedience so amazing to me, so marveling to me, is the contrast between what one man wanted to do and what God wanted him to do. The contrast between Abraham's will and God's will couldn't have been more diametrically opposed. What Abraham wanted to do and, um, and what God wanted Abraham to do was the last thing in the world Abraham could have ever wanted to do. There was one, only one other case in which God's will was so opposite to the will of the one who was, he was asking to obey, and that may be the case of Christ in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The case we're looking at today is an account of God clearly commanding Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son. You know, i got to confess, I hate reading this passage. It really bothers me when I read this passage. I can't, I, I, I just, the, the pain of the thought of what Abraham must have been going through uh, really gets to me whenever I read this passage. Um, but here we have a case where God clearly commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the son of the promise, the son who was miraculously 
provided to him through God and through a promise. The son he waited so long for. The son in whom all of his hopes and uh, desires in God were wrapped up. Why did Abraham obey God? Why did Abraham do it? Why did Abraham obey him? Why didn't he at least hesitate a little bit and argue with him some? Why didn't Abraham argue with God? Um, If there was ever a good case to argue for disobedience in Scripture, one that you would think that God might understand, it would be Abraham arguing his case for why he shouldn't obey the command to sacrifice his son. There would have been a lot of good arguments for uh, that. Um, Yet, without dispute, without hesitation, Abraham obeyed God. Why did he do it? And what benefit did this amazing act of obedience bring to the whole world? How are we affected today? How How in this one act of obedience that Abraham did before God... Are we ourselves under a, a, a shower of blessing as a result of Abraham's faithful obedience? And another question I'd like us to ponder as we look at this scripture is how do our acts of obedience to God bring blessings to those who follow in our wake as well? Um, this morning, the message is entitled, Because You Have Obeyed Me, And we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 16. Now, um, you know, just by word of review, Abraham had already lived an amazing life. He was a guy that had been called out of his home country to leave his family and to go into a strange land, all for some promise of some future heritage. He spent uh, the vast majority of his life waiting for this promised child, Isaac, to come. And he even trusted God to fulfill that promise when his wife's womb had long since become barren. And he did see the the amazing miracle of his wife Sarah conceiving and giving giving birth to this child, this child of promise in his old age. And here we are in chapter 22, and God is asking him to sacrifice the son of promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and... Father, as we look at this interplay between Abraham and you, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would understand this awful thing that you had asked him to do is something that you have actually done for us. Help us, Father, contemplate the, 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 the value of, of what you have given us through Christ Jesus, the pain of the sacrifice that you are willing to suffer so that we might be set free. Lord, we just pray that you would bless the reading of this word this morning and that we might be lifted by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1, reading verses 1 through 19, says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants 
and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He then reached out his hand, took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught in its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. And to this day he said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through their offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to, uh, to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This has to be, if not the most difficult, one of the most difficult passages of Scripture for me to read. How could God expect this man to obey such a command as this? Could there be any greater contrast between what one man would want and what God was asking of him? It seems to me that it would be much easier to give up your own life, to be asked to give up your own life and a noble cause than to take your beloved son and put him on an altar and sacrifice him. This child that he went that Abraham went out and actually lifted his knife to with the intent of taking this precious child's life was the most prized possession of Abraham. It wasn't just any child. This child wasn't just any son. This child was a child of promise. 
and to sacrifice his son without questioning God is just an awesome, awful image that proved he was willing to do whatever God asked of him. Why did God ask him to do it? Why did God ask Abraham to do it? And why did Abraham obey? What would enable us and what does enable us to be willing to obey God? The theme of this morning's message is this. Abraham's sacrifice was the ultimate test of faith. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. God tested Abraham's faith by asking him to do the one thing he least wanted to do. Why did God want Abraham to prove how completely he trusted him? If anyone had made a case for the fact that they trusted God, it was already Abraham. Already Abraham had left his family because God had commanded him to. Already Abraham had gone into a strange country and taken everything he owned into an un unknown land because God had asked him to. Already he had waited his whole life to see this child of promise come to fruition without wavering in his faith to see Isaac be born of the barren womb of his wife. If anyone had already established that he had faith in God and his faith had been proved through his actions, it would have been this man Abraham. You know, if, if there was anyone who had already proved that he had trusted God and would follow him anywhere, uh, God all, would have already known the loyalty of this man's heart. So why did God want to, th this man to demonstrate such a depth of commitment to him? Well, I, I really don't know the answer to that question, uh, but I think I have a pretty good guess. I, I would guess that the answer to that question is for us. I think God already knew Abraham's heart. I think God knew that Abraham would obey him. And I think he did this so that it would be a demonstration to us. I think it was for us and for the rest of humanity to marvel at both what Abraham was willing to do and to also marvel at what God ultimately did do for us. You see, God did do exactly for us what he had asked Abraham to do for him. He did give his only begotten son as a sacrifice that our sins might be atoned for. You know, when we marvel at something, we marvel at something or someone because their exploits and their abilities and their actions are far beyond what we could possibly do ourselves. And I marvel at Abraham because I would be deluded if I thought that I could do what he did. Thank goodness God doesn't call us to do beyond what we're able. Uh, it's, it's like athletics. You know athletics? You know, sometimes we as men sit around the couch thinking, oh, I could do that. Yeah, they, yeah get out and try it. You know, one of the things I marvel at uh, when I watch the Olympics or any other track and field event um, is high jumping. You know, when you see a high jumper do that over seven feet, and if you've ever tried to do that over a bar, 
when you watch that guy uh, lifted up there in the air, it's just a marvel. To, it's just like, how did he get, you know, I can't do three feet. And he's flying with ease over seven feet. And he's, he actually looks graceful when he's doing it. <laughs> you know, pole vaulters, you know, going 19, 20 feet in the air. I don't know what they're up to now, but uh, yeah, I've tried that before. <laughs> and, you know, when you contrast what you're able to do with what somebody else can do, you marvel when the contrast is great. It's a marvel what Abraham did. It's an absolute marvel that he said yes to God to me. You know, honestly, God says, Richard, sacrifice this, and I might have a little debate with him over something. Nothing compared to that. Abraham's faith hurts me even to contemplate my comparison to him. God was willing to take this most favored, most faithful child of his, Abraham, and put him in a vice so severe, so unreasonable, to show us that he is trustworthy to provide even to the uttermost, and to show us what he did actually provide through his son Jesus. He took Abraham to Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah really is the center of history, really. It's, it's the Temple Mount. He took, this is where it happened. He took, Abraham had never been there before as a three-day journey, God showed him where to go, and the very center point of human history right now is focused on this mountain in Israel, this flat plateau where the temple used to be and where the Dome of the Rock is now. This is the place where Abraham had his son Isaac on an altar ready to be be sacrificed. Uh, And Abraham was taken all the way to the brink to sacrifice his son on this place of atonement. And because of that, we know Abraham is the father of not only all those who are born of him through natural heritage, but all of us too are faithful. We, we, We say Abraham is our father. Christ says Abraham is our father, not because we're of Jewish heritage, but because we are born into the faith of this man Abraham. This faith was so profound and it was so unbelievable that it opened up the door for God to withhold nothing to us. Abraham withheld nothing to God and God committed at that point to withhold nothing uh, for us and for you and for me. Because Abraham withheld nothing, God has withheld nothing. When we think about how awful it must have been for Abraham to silently obey God up to the very last moment, let's remember the sacrifice that Abraham was asked to make, God actually did himself make for us. Again, the the theme this morning is Abraham's sacrifice was the ultimate test of faith. And point number one is, Abraham's faith was proved through obedience. Verses 3 and 4. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took, him, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to, uh, uh, for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham 
looked up and saw the place in the distance. The very next morning, early, he set out. I mean, he cleared his calendar. Abraham didn't say, I'll, I'll wait a little while. Uh, maybe uh, God said something different. I'll let him cha- give him a week or so to change his mind. It, the very next morning, he cleared his calendar, set out, and uh, went to sacrifice his son. Now, why did Abraham do it? We've answered the question, I think, why God asked him to do it. But why did he do it? He has, he has free will. He, he can defy God if he wants. Why did he do it? Well, the answer to that is... Um, given in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, and we can see uh, that answer reflected in the verses today, but it's it's more clearly answered in the New Testament, um, where Abraham is uh, prominent in the hall, hall of fame of faith there in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and it says this, by faith, so he did it because of his faith, when Abraham, when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So the writer here in Hebrews is saying, even though uh, God had made all of his promises to Abraham and that all these promises would become realized through Isaac, even though he knew that, he was going to still sacrifice his son Isaac. Why? Um, Abraham reasoned, that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Here's Abraham's thinking. God made a promise that his covenant would be realized through Isaac. God is faithful to his promises. God is now asking me to kill the child of my promise, of the promise he made to me. I don't necessarily understand why he's doing that, but I know that he's faithful to his promise, so this this boy can't stay dead. He's reasoning to himself, I know that when he was born from his mother's womb, it was like he came out of a deadness. It was a miracle that he came to me, and uh, God's not short of miracles, so I believe Abraham said that somehow he's going to bring him back to life after he dies. I'm not going to lose him forever if I do what God is asking. It was, it was uh, Abraham's reasoning. And this fits uh, verse 5 of the passage in, in Genesis where he said, he, you know, where Abraham said, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So even as he's taking his son up to be sacrificed and he really is going to kill him, he believes that somehow he and his son Isaac will return to the servants. So he has faith in God so profound that he believes that the very um, act of killing his son won't ultimately uh, destroy the promise and the life of his son. Abraham's obedience and faith are two sides of the same coin. As Abraham here was raising his knife to kill his son, he still trusted in God completely to maintain the promise that God had made uh, through his son Isaac to keep his word. And his faith was proven 
through his obedience. What makes our faith visible? Can you see my faith? Let me ask you that question. Can you see my faith? Can, you see, can I see your faith? What makes our faith visible is what we do, is our obedience. Obedience makes faith visible. Uh, when we were first starting the church, uh, Marty and I made friends with the realtor and his wife. Uh, they were both realtors who we bought a lot from that we built our first house on here in San Bernardino. And uh, in the course of time, she had asked me if I would go and give an invocation at, um, at one of the realtors' annual meetings because she was the outgoing president of the local realtors' association. So I went to give an invocation for her uh, at this meeting. And when she introduced me, she introduced me as her pastor, which I was shocked to hear because she had never come to church. <laughs> um, her saying that she was under my pastoral authority were, was just words. It wasn't real. If it were real, she would demonstrate the reality of that belief by attending uh, University Park Church. When Abraham called God his God, boy, that is real. That is real. There is no greater demonstration of a person making the claim that this is my God than being willing to give up the most precious thing in his life in favor of following God's will. When we call Jesus our Lord, how many people here call Jesus their Lord? Jesus, when we call Jesus our Lord, when we call Jesus our Lord, uh, do we continue to trust him even in times of testing? Gladly, very gladly, I don't believe any of us will ever be called to uh, have our faith tested to the degree to which Abraham's was. Mostly because, at least for me, I know that um, it's beyond me. And God won't test us beyond what we can handle. But God will test us, and our faith is tested, and it is demonstrated by what we uh, do. Abraham's sacrifice was the ultimate test of faith. Abraham's faith was proved through obedience. And point number two, Abraham's obedience opened up the windows of God's blessings into the nations. Because this one man obeyed, we are under such a glorious... We don't even know the, the, the oppression that has been lifted off of us. Even non-Christians don't know the oppression that has been lifted off of them because of Moses. And Christians know the oppression that's been lifted off of them because of Jesus. But all of this promise of this future blessings to the nations through Israel came in God's response to Abraham's obedience. Verses 15 through 18 says this, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declared the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand, and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And 
through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We have been tremendously blessed by Israel. Uh, we have no, we, we are so saturated in the blessing of the idea of the law ruling us, even imperfectly as it is implied, that the ideas that were brought through Moses, the ideas that were ruled by principles and by laws, not by kings and not by the capricious uh, nature of a tyrant, but that all men are under law, all men are obligated to treat each other correctly, that there's a moral base by which we all are called to obey because God has given that to us. That has been implied, you know, that has been applied imperfectly throughout the world, but if it hadn't been applied at all, there would be nothing but tyranny. There would be no freedom. There would be no capacity to even answer the question, what is right? It would only, the only thing that would count would be the will of the tyrant that was in control. We would have no regress. We would have no claim for liberty. We had have no sense in which we could argue for the sake of human rights. The whole idea of human rights and the dignity of man has come through Moses. The law is a wonderful, wonderful blessing to the nations. And greater than the law is a cross, the salvation of Christ. Who is Jewish? Who was Jewish? Who is a descendant of David? Who is the descendant of Abraham? And it is through Christ that we not only get a political liberation, a social liberation, we get a spiritual liberation that is so profound and, and eternal. You know, this week, this last Wednesday night, as our prayer group was praying for Haiti, and uh, the, just the crushing images of live people under rubble was, is such a profound thought to think what it would be like to be under, caught under rubble and still be alive. I realized that in Haiti and the whole world, uh, before the earthquake ever came, especially in Haiti, but all, also all around the world, men and women are under rubble. They're under the rubble of oppression uh, from tyranny. They're under the rubble of oppression from spiritual darkness. And Haiti, before the earthquake, was under as much rubble as it's under even now. And, and, and the one thing that lifts that rubble the rubble of, a, of, of corrupt governmental structures is the law. And the one thing that lifts the rubble of, of the voodoo and the dark practices that they have is God's grace. That we ourselves need to recognize and fully embrace how the, the freedom that we have gained through the blessing that came to all nations through the offspring of Abraham. With the absence of law and with the absence of grace, Haiti is in a mess even before the earthquake. Not that law and grace ever have been applied perfectly in any nation, but the degree to which law and grace has been blessed, a nation has been blessed with the law of Moses and the grace of Jesus Christ, is the degree to which the people are free spiritually and politically. Why do we obey or why do we disobey? Why does anyone obey God or why does anyone disobey God? It's much easier for me to answer the question why people disobey God. I've asked them that many times. Why wouldn't you want to obey 
Jesus? And the answer is always the same. Uh, they believe that, that they'll give up their freedom through obedience to Christ. That if you obey Christ, then you can no longer do what you want whenever you want, and you'll lose freedom. The funny thing is, is that people who desire to obey, desire to obey for the same reason. When you understand that it is through obedience that you gain freedom, uh, true freedom, and you understand the nature of freedom, the nature of freedom is being able to do what is beneficial, having the capacity to do what is beneficial. Uh, I've used this illustration many times before. The people that are free to drive from point A to point B are the ones that follow the law, that, that, that don't run red lights. It, it's in the compliance and the obedience of a good driver that you become able to freely get to where you want to go. The people whose lives are in bondage are the people who run red lights and crash into other people and smash up themselves and drive drunk and other things like that. Uh, the obedience and disobedience, everyone's looking for freedom. But what is freedom? Is freedom being able to do whatever our sinful hearts want to do? Or is it being led by the truth and having the capacity to do what is right? These two approaches of freedom, uh, it, which, whichever one we decide to take, will depend on uh, our understanding of this verse right here. Um, no, I guess it won't depend on that verse. It will understand on this verse here. Uh, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. <clears throat> People who reject Christ and, and reject his lordship do it because they want life. They want to live the good life. And they think the good life will be a consequence of them doing whatever they want. The sad truth is, is that when we're ever, whenever we're led by whatever we want in opposition to what our Lord wants, then we're easily led by the one who wants to kill and destroy us. The irony of, of all of this is that it is... Christ's intent to give us a full life, an abundant life. And he does that by being our shepherd, our good shepherd. He knows how to lead us better than we know how to lead ourselves. And he's a shepherd that is so good that he even gives his own life for his sheep. Again this morning, the theme is Abraham's sacrifice was the ultimate test of faith. Point number one is Abraham's faith was proved through obedience. And point number two is Abraham's obedience opened the windows of God's blessing into the nations. I'd like to conclude this morning by looking at uh, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verses 32 through 36. Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36, beginning at verse 32, it says, Then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here a while. Sit here while I pray. <clears throat> he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply, deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus' soul is completely overwhelmed with sorrow in this Garden of Gethsemane to the point of, of, of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible, 
that the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus wasn't too keen on the idea of drinking down God's wrath for us. But when it came down to it, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we come before you this morning, and um, Lord, even with Osh's example of a sacrifice of a little bit of time, uh, a little bit of effort, Lord, we always have things that um, we could do that would be more beneficial to ourselves than the acts of sacrifice that you call us to. Uh, yet the great irony is, is that when it comes down to what actually brings our, uh, joy into our lives, it's not what we um, take to ourselves, it's what we give to you. It, it really truly is better to give than to receive. And so, Lord, I, I know that um, there's a lot of different appeals out there for wanting this or wanting that. We don't want to hear any of that, Lord. We want to hear directly from you what you would have each individual person be led by your spirit, what you would have us uh, do f as an act of love and sacrifice uh, that is pleasing to you and a blessing to those who are around us. We don't need to line up and go the way this person's going or that person's going, but we do need to hear from you, Lord, and ask you, uh, where would you take us? And we, we pray, Father, for the strength and the faith to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.